Father, we do thank you because every good and perfect gift comes from you. We gladly bring back just a portion of what you have sustained us with and ask that you would bless this offering. Use it to the building and the furthering of your kingdom that Christ may be honored here and in all places. In his name we pray. Amen. Please remain standing. Our scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Psalms, reading Psalm 124. And this morning I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Psalm 124, a song of a sense of David. Let's give careful attention to the public reading of God's word. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side, when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. May the Lord bless the reading and preaching of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, maker of heaven and earth who has sanctified us by your word, your word which is truth, and who has called us to reflect on this word and live by it. We pray, Holy Spirit, that you would sweeten this word in our hearts and in our minds, that together we might grow in our knowledge of you and ourselves and the world that you have made, that we might more enjoy the calling you have given to us, and that we might honor you more along the path. Praying in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Be seated, please. Well, we are in a fall series on prayers for life's journey. Uh, I took a journey over the past, well, last week I was in uh, southwestern China for about eight days. Uh, I am still feeling the effects of jet lag. Uh, It takes a good while for me to recuperate. Uh, The trip home was 31 hours door to door. That was a long ride. The other night, my wife and I were on the back patio, and we were watching TV, and some commercial came on. And I I don't even know what the commercial was for, but it was three guys sitting on an airplane. And as soon as I saw it, I just went, oh, don't show me an airplane. (laughs) Uh, I don't want to fly again for a while. Uh, that uh, That was quite some journey. Uh, it was a good experience. Everything went well. I've, I've taught in Asia uh, five times. I'm now, uh, the, the um, non-sick trips are in the lead. I have two sick trips to three not-sick trips. So this last one put me over the top, and uh, everything went very well. So it's a, a great privilege to go and uh, train uh, leadership in China. Um, but life is a journey. We've, we've looked at three psalms so far. We're studying those psalms of ascent, 120 to 134, but we're only looking at eight of them this fall. We're not looking at all of them. Some on other occasions I've already preached on. We've studied uh, Psalm 121, a prayer for protection. 122, a prayer for peace. 
123, a prayer for mercy, and this morning, 124, a prayer of thanksgiving. Uh, How many of you would say that it's fair to say that in your journey in life to this point, you've experienced some adversity? Uh, Adversity is part of the journey along the way. Opposition. Uh, And sometimes that opposition comes from people who are really kind of far from us in terms of interpersonal relationships. Sometimes that opposition comes from people who are very close to us. But but adversity is something that we just have to learn to deal with uh, as we're journeying toward that celestial city. Sometimes the adversity is very personal and intimate, familial. Sometimes the adversity is much broader. It's civil. It's social. We certainly experience adversity as God's um, believing people. Now, how many of you can look back at times in your life when you've experienced adversity and you could also testify to the fact that in those times of adversity, you experienced divine help? See, that's what this psalm is about. We're actually only going to look at the last couple of verses in this psalm, which focus our attention on that idea of thanksgiving in adversity. You know, the very last line of this hymn, Our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. That's the line with which John Calvin, uh, Reformation Day, have to make at least one Reformation Day comment here. That's the line with with which John Calvin opened every public worship service. He started by saying to the congregation, Our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. And certainly the reformers experienced much adversity. Uh, some of them to the point of giving up their lives for the sake of the gospel. So this morning we're going to be looking at this uh, prayer of thanksgiving. What do you do along the way, uh, in particular when you experience adversity and then you experience divine help and God in one way or another enables you to navigate that adversity and come out on the other side? Two things from the latter part of this psalm. And by latter part, I mean starting in verse 6 where it says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. And then it goes on to say, Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Well, the first thing you do is you count your blessings. You may have seen in your um, bulletin a handout How many of you know that old hymn, Count Your Blessings, Name Them One by One? Uh, Those are probably the former Baptists like me among us. Uh, You probably sang that at some camp meeting somewhere along the way, vacation Bible school. Um, Many of us know it. It's an easy song to pick up, and it's going to fit right in with the conclusion of the sermon, especially the very last line, Uh, help and comfort give you to your journey's end. Count your blessings. What's the method of counting your blessings? Well, the reason why I picked the ESV, as we will see, is because the ESV uses the word blessed in verse 6. It says, blessed be the Lord. And 
The NIV and other translations probably say something like praise. Now, there's a Hebrew word. Everybody say Be-Reich. Be like in the, you know, a bay in the ocean. Be, and then rake like you're raking. But it's only one word, accent on the last syllable, Be-Reich. But it's not really a K like in rake. It's more like a H as in Bach. So Be-Reich. That's the verb that we're dealing with. And it's an interesting verb. We've talked about it way in the past here. Uh, It's the verb that is used in Genesis when God blesses people. And it's a verb that is used when people bless God. Now, when God blesses people, we have a little blessing sound asleep right here. In the book of Genesis, when God blesses, God empowers people to experience abundant life. But the two dominant ways in which God blesses in Genesis is he blesses with the power to produce children. And he blesses with the power to produce wealth. But those are just examples. Any power that you have, whether it's the power of social skills, intellectual skills to produce children, to produce wealth, uh, the power to get along with people, the power to problem solve, the power to do math, the power to play an instrument. Any power that you have, you have because that's the blessing of God. That's the empowerment of God. So when God blesses us, what he's doing is he's empowering us to live life to its fullest. And in the garden before the fall, we were totally empowered, totally blessed. We will in in heaven be totally empowered, totally blessed. And along the way now, along the journey of life, God blesses us. One of the ways he blesses us is that when we're experiencing adversity, he gives us the strength, he gives us the courage, he gives us the the wisdom to navigate that adversity and come out on the other side. God empowers us. Well, what do we do when God blesses us? When God blesses us, we bless God. It's the exact same word. God beirechs us and we beirech God. But obviously, when we're blessing God, we are not like empowering God to experience an abundant life. What we're doing when we bless God is we are praising God for all of the empowerment that he has given us. See, there's an Italian expression that says the translator is a traitor. Because when you translate from one language to another, you're often adding a little bit or taking something away. It's not quite the same in the translated language. Translation is tricky. There's only one word in Hebrew, God blesses us, and we bless God. And so I picked the ESV this morning because it uses the word bless for blessed be the Lord. I didn't use the NIV this morning, which says, praise the Lord. Well, why does the NIV say, praise the Lord? Because that's what the word means. And because we don't use the word bless this way anymore. You don't hear a a news reporter saying, did you hear the, um, did you hear the, the other newscaster blessing the Mets? (laughs) We don't speak that way, do we? Somebody doesn't bless the Mets. Of course, some people wish somebody would curse the Mets, but uh, 
What do we say? They weren't blessing the Mets. What were they doing? They were praising the Mets. So you see, the NIV has chosen to speak the English that you and I speak. But in doing so, it's lost that connection between God blessing us and us blessing God. So the ESV says, I want to keep that connection. But to keep that connection, they use strange language sometimes. Like uh, in, in Jonah 1... Uh, in the ESV, it says, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh. Uh, makes perfect sense, right? We can get that. But when's the last time you ever said arise to anybody? Or when's the last time anybody ever said arise to you? See, the ESV doesn't use the English that you and I are using when we're standing in the grocery line. And they're doing that because they want to stay connected to the text. That's a good thing, Right. But then the Bible is supposed to be translated so that we get it. And so it's not. So the solution is. Learn Hebrew. (laughs) My online Hebrew classes. Um, Christmas is just around the corner. Buy somebody an online Hebrew class for Christmas. Well, speaking of Christmas, my wife had a genius of an idea. Our family's expanding. Uh, Kids are getting married. We're having grandkids. And so she said, why don't we, for the sake of the kids, start to do Secret Santa? So instead of everybody having to buy for everybody, now everybody's buying for one person. So text messaging is wonderful because our kids are spread out. So we text Texted everybody. Everybody said, yeah, thumbs up. Let's do it. And Adele and I put cards together and matched everybody up. And so now everybody knows the one person they got to buy for. So uh, sorry, I don't know where that came from. <laughs> on, on Monday, I, I got home like Sunday morning at one o'clock, which meant I got to sleep about four o'clock Sunday morning. I had to teach on Monday. Man, I had trouble putting like two sentences together. Uh, we were talking about the ESV. Somehow that got us to Christmas. I have no idea how. <laughs> so that's why I chose the ESV, because I, I like to keep that connection. And, and I think, fair enough, especially among people who have grown up reading the Bible, we get the idea of bless the Lord, meaning praise the Lord. But the content here from the psalm, is those first verses that we're not really focusing our attention. But notice the adversity in the context. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. The flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. And so in the front half of the psalm, the psalmist is just voicing the adversity that the community had been experiencing. And so the Holy Spirit teaches you here that it is okay to voice the adversity that you're experiencing. See, being a good Christian on the journey of life does not mean pretending all is well when all is not well. Being a good Christian means being willing to give voice to the dark side of life when you experience it. It doesn't mean you're a bad Christian. It means you're a human Christian. And you experience darkness, you experience adversity, and you don't have to pretend that you don't. 
the Holy Spirit through the Psalms gives us freedom to bring to expression everything that we think and feel. That's why John Calvin, Second Reformation Day reference, that's why John Calvin calls the book of Psalms an anatomy of every part of the soul. Because he says there's nothing that you can feel or think that doesn't come to expression in the book of Psalms. And so as as you, along the journey of life, experience adversity, no matter what it looks like, no matter from what corner it comes, one of the best ways to deal with that along the way is to give voice to it. Not to pretend that it's not there, but to articulate what it is that you're thinking and what it is that you're feeling. Trust me, God will not reprimand you. He will receive you with open arms because he knows you're one of his children and he loves you with a love that will never let you go. And he wants to hear from you, not only in the times of prosperity, but also in the times of adversity. And you're free. You're free by the word of God and you're free by the spirit of God to articulate that darkness, that adversity that you experience in your own life. So the method of counting your blessings is to bless God for all the blessings that he brings down into your own life. And sometimes that is blessing God for, uh, for bringing you uh, relief from the adversity that you've just been experiencing. But even in adversity, it is easy to get myopic, to get tunnel vision. When something is going wrong, it is so easy to make the part the whole. So that the only thing that you see is that one negative thing. And if by God's grace, you can broaden your vision and you can take a step back and say, yes, I see that, I articulate it, I feel it, I think about it, but that's not all there is to my life. Look at the blessings that God has brought into my life in the past and look at the blessings that I'm experiencing right now in my life. You see, as you count your blessings and you name them one by one, that's the method of counting the blessing. Now, what about the manner? Well, certainly in private. There's nothing wrong with counting your blessings in private. But when we read the book of Psalms, we're kind of hard-pressed to find private praise of God. The counting of the blessings, the praise of God in the book of Psalms, is almost always a corporate experience. Let's look at Psalm 66, just starting in verse 14. Psalm 66. Well, let's actually start in verse 13 in English. The psalmist says, I will come into your house. So notice the I, it's very personal. But I will come into your house, referring to the temple with burnt offerings, I will perform my vows to you, that which my lips uttered and my mouth promised when I was in trouble. You see, in the Old Testament, when somebody was experiencing adversity, they would say to God, basically, much more poetically than I'm going to say, God, get me out of this, and if you do, this is what I'll do for you. They would make vows to God. And in particular, what they would make a vow to do 
is they would make a vow to offer todah. Uh, Todah is the Hebrew word that is used in modern Hebrew right now for thank you. But in the book of Psalms, Todah was two things. One, Todah was a thank offering. In other words, God, if you get me out of this, I'll go to the temple and I will offer a thank offering. And two, Todah was a thanksgiving psalm, like the one that we're looking at this morning. So God... I'm in trouble. If you get me out of this, I will go to the temple and offer a todah, thank offering, and I will offer a todah, thanksgiving psalm. See, it was corporate. Now, notice what it goes on to say. I will offer to you burnt offerings of fattened animals with the smoke of the sacrifice of rams. I will make an offering of bulls and goats. Now, come and hear... All you who fear God, and I will tell you what he has done for me. See, as the psalmist was offering the Todah sacrifice he, and singing the Todah song, a lot of people there. And he would invite people to come, basically, and listen to his testimony and how he was in trouble and how God delivered him from that trouble. There's another hymn I remember when I was a kid. Somebody's got to know it. Do you remember the old song, Stop and Let Me Tell You What the Lord Has Done for Me? Okay, that's, that's very psalmic. It's probably not going to be found in the Trinity hymnal. Okay, but it's very psalmic in its pattern. Stop and let me tell you. We, we read it together in Psalm 46. Come and hear. We read it here, come and hear. This is not just an individual personal piety. It is very individual. It's I, it's me, it's my story, but it's shared in the community. We could multiply examples from the book of Psalms. And we need to find a way to do this in corporate church life. Uh, I probably have said that I remember when I was a kid on Sunday nights, we would often have testimony time where people would stand up and they would give their testimonies. Uh, Presbyterians are a little bit reticent to give lay people the microphone because we're not quite sure what might come out. (laughs) Fair enough. Uh, I, I get that. But on the other hand, there is, we have to find some way to mirror what's going on in the Psalms. Where corporately, and maybe it's not in a worship service, maybe it's at a Sunday evening picnic like this evening, Uh, but somehow we find a way to allow the congregation to give corporate expression, to say, come and let me tell you what the Lord has done for me. Here's the adversity that that I was in. And you know, some of you, in fact, came around me and you prayed and you helped me and you supported me. And here's where I am now. Would that be encouraging to you to hear each other's stories of what's going on? Now, I'm sure you do that in one way or another. You, you, it's not all personal. I'm sure that you have a, maybe a small group of people that you share those kinds of things with. But even in a congregation of this size, how encouraging would it be if we knew more of each other's stories? So I'm not here to dictate a, a way to do this. I'm just here showing you the biblical pattern that, that the, 
that the manner of giving thanks to God, while private, is totally on, on target. We need to find ways to give thanks to God corporately, uh, to share in each other's lives the, the good things that God has done, and to share in each other's lives those places where there's adversity and where there's trouble and we don't see the light at the end of the tunnel yet. So that we know what's going on and we can be more involved uh, in one another's lives. So what do we do in, uh, along the journey when we experience adversity? And in particular, when we experience deliverance from that adversity? Count your blessings. Uh, name them one by one. Now, the, uh, the second thing, and here's another C for you. Uh, confess your faith. You not only count your blessings, you also confess your faith. See, the the counting of the blessings, if we go back to Psalm 124, the counting of the blessings is verses 6 and 7, blessed be the Lord. And the confession of faith is the last verse, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Notice how this psalm starts by talking about uh, the source of your faith, the source of your help. Uh, In the Bible, the name is the person. Have you ever noticed, and we, we can't do this with every name in the Bible, but often in the Bible, the, the name and the character match each other. The name is a reflection of the person's character. We think just at the beginning of the Bible, Adam. Adam means humanity, and Adam was the covenant head of the human race. He changes his wife's name to Chava, Eve, because in spite of the fact that God said, in the day you eat, you'll die, he believed the promise that someone would come to crush the head of the serpent, so he changed her name to Eve, Mother of the living, Chava, life, living, Cain, Cain. See, with pain you'll bring forth children. And so she names her first child Cain because it sounds just like the word for I have acquired. Cain, Kaniti, I have acquired a child with the help of God. Abel, Abel means vanity. It's the word from Ecclesiastes, vanity of vanities, everything is vanity. She conceived him, she bore him, she nursed him, she nurtured him, and in the prime of his life, like just graduated from college, he was senselessly killed by his brother. And his name is Vanity of Vanities. Everything is vanity. But God is good. And he gives another child in place of the one that she lost. And so she names him Seth, which means replacement. We could multiply uh, examples. I, I mentioned Jonah. Jonah means dove. And in Hebrews 7.11, dove is probably because of its erratic flight pattern, a, an image of that which is silly and senseless. Was he true to his name or not? But his name is also Ben-Amitai, son of my faithfulness. In spite of how silly and senseless Jonah was, even to the very last verse in the book, he was still the object of God's unfailing love. 
Examples could be multiplied. The name is the person. Go to Exodus 34, 5. Exodus 34, 5. Moses on Mount Sinai. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed the Lord, the Lord. See, that's, his, that's God's personal name when you see Lord in small caps. The Lord, the Lord. And now notice we get a description of his character. A God, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and on the children's children to the third and fourth generation. See, on Mount Sinai, God proclaimed his name. And then when he said, my name, my name, he describes his character. Slow to to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving of sins. And so in our text, you see, when we confess our faith, uh, what do we say? Our help is in the name. See, that's rich in the Old Testament. It's not just a name. It's a name that reflects the character. So when we're confessing the name of God, we're reminding ourselves and each other of the character of God. The name is the person. Uh, And the name in this psalm is the Lord, his personal name. Look at Proverbs uh, 18.10. Proverbs 18.10. The name of the Lord. See, it doesn't say the Lord. It says the name of the Lord. Because the name is a reflection of who God is. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. The name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. And that idea of being safe is very colorful in Hebrew. Uh, Think of a a high, high cliff. Something that you couldn't possibly scale on your own. And three quarters of the way up that cliff, we're too, too high to get it from the bottom. Too far down to get it from the top. There's a small cave. This word safe means putting somebody in that little niche, way up where it's too high to get to them. That's why they're safe. That's why the Lord is a high tower. And the righteous run to the Lord. And when they do, he just puts them up in that place where they are safe. Uh, there's a song, the name of the Lord is a high tower. The righteous run into it and are safe coming from this line. See, the name of the Lord, strong, high. What do you do 
uh, in adversity. You, you run to the Lord, knowing that he's a high tower, and knowing that as you run to the Lord, uh, you'll be safe because his name reflects his character. Uh, a similar text, uh, one that you probably know, 1 Samuel seventeen forty five. This is uh, one of those ironic stories. I've told you that we have cats, and I'm not a cat person. But my uh, daughter, when she was little, um, wanted a kitten. And so, sorry if you're a cat lover, but we made the mistake of going and getting a cat. And, um, of course, the cat was at a rescue, and it was brand new, little, little kitty, and little kitty had a brother. So, you know, you can't split up the family, can you? So now my daughter's been gone off to college four years, and I still have these two cats around the house. Yeah, we bought them for my daughter. I don't know that she's ever taken care of them one day in, in their existence. She does love them. She plays with them. But mom and dad, we do all the care and maintenance of the cats. But at any rate, uh, the one cat, the black one, was the runt. I mean, that, that kitten was so little, you could hold it in the palm of your hand. And his brother, the orange one, was much bigger. And so David, uh, um, Annie named the real little one Goliath and, and the real big one David because she likes irony. Well, this is the story of David and Goliath. Goliath, big and huge and burly and all this, uh, uh, all this armor on. And David, this little... Uh, a ruddy-cheeked boy, and Saul tried to, he, volley, he said, I'll go fight Goliath, and so Saul tried to put his armor on him, and the armor was like way too big, David like couldn't move, he said, take it off, man, just give me my sling, and then, um, then in verse 45, David said to the Philistine, notice he's not given a name here, and I think that's a comment that he doesn't have any true character, So he's just called the Philistine. You come to me with a sword and with a spear and with a javelin. But I come to you in the name, you see. I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. Reminds me, we had good friends in California, and uh, they, like we, would read Bible stories to their kids and uh, all the wonderful Bible story books. And one day, Grandpap was coming to visit this family, and he's reading the story of David and Goliath. And he comes to the part where David is is chopping off Goliath's head, and he thought, I'm not reading that to my grandson. I'm going to skip by that one. And so he skipped over it, and his grandson stopped him. And he said, Grandpa, you, you left out the best part where David cuts his head off. <laughs> but notice what David, David was in the middle of adversity, yes? And, and what was the source of his help? The name. You come to me with spear and sword. I come to you in the name of the Lord. And who came out victorious? David did. Now, he didn't just use the name, did he? You know the song. Uh, he, uh, 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 I forget it, but you know it. You know that he, he took the five stones and he put one in and the, swing, the sling went round and round and the giant came tumbling down. He, he did use human means, right? 
he could have said, you come to me with spear and sword, I come to you with sling and stone. That would have been true, but it also would have only been partly true and it would have been way off base. Because whereas Goliath was relying on shield and spear and javelin, David was not relying on sling and stone. David was going to use sling and stone, but he was relying on the Lord, which is why he didn't say, I come to you with my sling and man, I'm really good with this thing. He said, I come to you in the name of the Lord. Because I'm trusting that in this moment of adversity, it's the Lord who is going to, what's the B word? Bless. The Lord is going to empower me to use the meager resources that I have to come out victorious and on top. And so the source is the name of the Lord, which is a high tower to which we can run and be safe, defense, but also with which we can use our resources offensively to come out victorious on the other side. Now, just one other thing. The text identifies God in a, in a special way in this verse. When he says, our help is in the name of the Lord, and then he tells us who the Lord is, maker of heaven and earth. When we use the Apostles' Creed, what's the first thing we confess about God? God is our Father. He is maker of heaven and earth. What's the first thing the Bible tells us about God, reading it chronologically? That God is the maker of heaven and earth. When we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, that language is coming right out of the liturgical language of the book of Psalms. Uh, Psalm 115, 15, may you be blessed by the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. That's Psalm 115, 15. Psalm 121, 2, my help comes from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Of course, our Psalm 124, 8, our help is in the name of the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 134, 3, May the Lord bless you from Zion, maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 146, 6. Blessed is he whose help is the God of Jacob, whose hope is the Lord his God, maker of heaven and earth. Like we use that phrase liturgically in the Apostles' Creed, maker of heaven and earth, the Psalms use that same phrase liturgically, maker of heaven and earth. And when you look at those psalms, there are two things that stand out. Maker of heaven and earth is the one who blesses you. Psalm 115, 15. Uh, Psalm 134, 3. Psalm 146, 6. Maker of heaven and earth is the one who helps you. 121, 2 and 124, 8. Now, as maker of heaven and earth, God no doubt brought all of his characteristics into play, but two in particular. When you look at God's text in the Bible that describe God as creator, two things come out in particular. One is power. We can't comprehend the power that it took to create the heavens and the earth. 
I remember one time I had the privilege of walking through the Canadian Rockies outside of Banff National Forest um, with a geologist. And he was describing, I'm guessing we're probably like 14,000 feet up, and he's showing me fossils, fossils that were formed underwater. And he's describing to me tectonic plate movement and how this massive granite block that we call the Rockies was at one time underwater. What kind of power did it take? I can't even lift this pulpit. And we're talking about thousands and thousands of square miles of solid granite going from below sea level to 14,000 feet above sea level. No wonder we sing the mighty power of God who made the mountains rise. When you confess our help is in the name of the Lord and that he's maker of heaven and earth, you're confessing the incredible, incomprehensible power of God. The one who made the mountains rise. I remember once standing in La Jolla, California, in, a, um, uh, in the aquarium, at, at, at the Scripps Aquarium, outside this large aquarium of jellyfish, talking with a good friend of mine and mistakenly saying, what a simple creature with tears in his eyes, he simply said, you try to make one. (laughs) See, that's not only the power of God, that's also the wisdom of God. When the Bible describes God as creator, it not only highlights how powerful he is, but how wise he is. Just stop and think. You can think about any body function. But think about speech. Air comes out of my lungs, goes over my vocal cords so that waves are produced, comes through my mouth where those waves are shaped by my teeth and my hard palate and my soft palate and my tongue and my lips. Those waves then go like this and they go into your ears and they jiggle these little bones And then they're transferred into electrical charges that go into your brain so that when I say the service is over, you know you can go home. (laughs) Human language. Amazing. Uh, what, what What kind of computer programmer put us together? I must admit, I still marvel at computer technology. I marvel that I can compose a letter, turn off the computer, turn it back on three days later, and the letter's still there waiting to be printed. Our telephones. Our telephones have more... Why do we call them telephones? We hardly use them to make calls anymore. They do so many other things. But they have more computing power than the computers that put the first people on the moon. But those don't hold a candle to the computer engineering that God has done in creating the world. You know, if we were just a smidge closer to the sun, we wouldn't be here. It'd be too hot. 
If we were a smidge further away, we wouldn't be here. It'd be too cold. If the earth rotated a little bit faster or a little bit slower, we wouldn't be here. Too much wind, not enough wind, not enough cooling, too much cooling. I mean, the, the, the fine-tuning that God has done to bring about this creation in which we live, incomprehensible to us. Uh, Calvin says, third, okay, three's good, that'll be my last one. Calvin says that scientists have a most remarkable calling by God because they're able to see the wisdom and power of God in ways that we ordinary folk can't. Uh, Young people, if there's anybody out there who might be thinking about a career in science, John Calvin would say that's a great calling uh, for somebody who's in the Reformation tradition. What a wonderful thing it is to be able to read God's world and to be able to marvel at the power and the wisdom of God. When you're in adversity... Confess your faith. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And who is he? Maker of heaven and earth. And if you ever begin to doubt that he has the wisdom and the power needed to get you out of the situation you're in, just think about the marvelous creation that he has made. And as we'll now sing, every doubt will fly. Well, let's respond by standing together and singing uh, this song. Notice that there are four verses. We're only going to sing him uh, stanzas uh, one, two, and four. Uh, Paying attention in particular to the very end, uh, count your many blessings, angels will attend, help, there's our word, and comfort give you to your journeys, and let's stand and sing. Uh, Can we just play this once to get the Baptist blood flowing in us again? Just play play the, the melody for us one time. Well, congregation of the Lord Jesus Christ, I wish I could promise you that on the journey of life there would be no adversity, but I just can't. But I can encourage you to count your blessings along the way. And to confess your faith, your doubts will fly and God will be there to help and comfort give you to the very end of your journey. And to that end, lift up your hearts and receive the blessing of God. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Go in peace.